have a dream that all men are created Hello everyone. Yes, I've got a plan and I like to do a bit of tango. Yes, welcome back to your story. I'm Ian Kath. I'm your host and this is episode 55. It's been a long time, people. I'm terribly sorry. I am. I am. I'd love to be getting more of these episodes out, but unfortunately there's only a certain amount of time in my life and I'm working very diligently at trying to make things happen so that I can keep putting out more episodes. I'm working very hard over at createyourlifestory.com where, if you haven't heard, I'm producing another podcast. I've got 21 episodes now and I've been working very hard at trying to create that. It's a little bit different to your story in the sense that I would like to make it a commercial prospect in time and I'm approaching it with slightly different attitudes. I'm messing around with SEO and I'm messing around with a strategy to give people some amazingly good content so they can record their life stories and get it out there and share it with the family and the world. And I would like to be able to generate some income from that in time. In the meantime, I'm producing all this free content for them and it's a particular strategy so that if I'm successful with it, if I manage to generate some income, and I hope I do, I'll have more time to travel, to engage with people, to work diligently at producing content for your story. Because I'll tell you, between you and I, and uh, don't let the people over at Create Your Life Story know this, but I actually would rather do your story because your story is all about me indulging moments with people and talking about their lives. But we'll just keep that between you and I, okay? So if all goes well, Create Your Life Story will do very well and that'll help us over here at Your Story. And what I do want to do is I want to travel more. I want to get out and about. I want to go back to Europe. I want to go back to Argentina. I want to get some more of these amazing stories that are out there and bring them to you here on Your Story, which of course is at yourstorypodcast.com. And if you throw a chat at the front of it with chat at yourstorypodcast.com, you can send me an email. There's a Facebook fan page. There's Twitter. You can get me at Ian Kath on Twitter. Uh, nice and easy. Also on the site is an Amazon search window. So if you like to buy things from Amazon, why not use the search window on yourstorypodcast.com and you'll get exactly the same experience that you normally get. It's just that I'll get a small return for it. And that'd be good for me too. And stumble and dig. Do all the usual sort of things. Share it around. Share the love around. And while you're at it, talking about sharing love around, the lovely people at IOTO Promonet supply this music. This particular track that I've got here at the beginning, which is Fascinator, and another track which has some really interesting sound effects that are relevant to our topic, if you want to listen to it. At the end of the episode... So I get those from IOTA Alliance, and if you go there, you can download the entire album. If you actually just like this particular track, you can go to the 
post at yourstorypodcast.com and at the bottom you can download the individual track. It's all there for you. I love the people at IOTA Alliance for allowing me to use the music that enables this whole thing to work so much better. To be able to produce podcast episodes that you enjoy and that I enjoy making for you by enhancing with music. And today we have one of those sort of stories. A wonderful, wonderful fellow who I met It happened a few weeks ago when James from the Lifestyle Pod Network happened to be in town and I noticed it on Twitter and I I went, oh, wow, what are you doing here, James? And he invited me along to breakfast on the Sunday morning where I managed to meet some other podcasters here in Brisbane. There's not a lot of us here in Brisbane, but there's a few and it was great to meet some other podcasters and they happened to be with his network. I'm not. Um, I'm not with his network. I'm not with the Lifestyle Pod Network. But he has this range of podcasters who produce shows for him. And one of the people is Jane Teresa, who has this lovely podcast. And I look forward to having her on the show in the next couple of weeks because she has an interesting story in her own right because she's in a dream analysis, but also she's a scientist. And I particularly like the uh, almost apparent contradictions in that. But that's for hopefully a few weeks' time. Well, I got to meet Jane Teresa's husband, Michael, and he engaged me in such a lovely way, and this is what I'm always on the lookout for, for people, for your story, is people who can engage me and who have an interesting life and know how to express themselves, and Michael's definitely one of those sort of characters. So I invited him onto the show, but it was only in the last literally a couple of days before we decided to record the episode that I realized what his topic was about was relevant to content over on Create Your Life Story. So this conversation that is here in its entirety, I've edited down to about 15 minutes and it's also over at createyourlifestory.com where it's more relevant to that particular topic of writing a biography and getting somebody to write it for you. But over here, we've got the whole story. We've got the entire nuts and bolts of his story and how he got into ghostwriting and what sort of lifestyle that enables him to have and what he gets out of it and what he can offer people who come along to his world. So, without going any further, here's Michael's story. Twenty-eighth of September, two thousand and ten. Hello, Michael Collins. Hello, Ian. We're going to talk about your story, and your story is as a ghostwriter. And That's right. I know almost nothing about ghostwriting other than the little bit you've told me. But there are a lot of people out there who aspire to write a book. A lot of people want to write a biography, and they don't necessarily know how to go about doing it. And a lot of them have a go at it and sort of nibble away at the edges of it and fail miserably. And other people search out people like yourself. And you write for them. And we never know about it necessarily. So I'd like, to t- I'd like you to tell us about what it's like to be a ghostwriter, how you got into it, and how did you get to this place? I got into it, I, you know, writing my own stories to start with, writing my own no- novels. Yeah. Um, and then um, taking on editing for other, for other people. Um, helping people with their writing and and then finding that the ghost writing side of things was a great earner personally Um, it's a great way to make a living have you always been a writer were you one of these kids who was writing stories when you were seven years of age oh god I wish you wouldn't ask me that oh I will I will tell you that probably my first foray into writing was at boarding school in England where at the age of 12 I took it upon myself to write pornographic stories for my fellow boarders. 
at 12, I didn't know what pornographic stories were. Well, not did I, so they were pretty poor quality. And neither, and neither would the kids probably, so they were happy to take no, any. No, no, the older kids really thought there was something, but the, the, um, the, the teachers didn't, weren't impressed. You got busted, did I you? I got busted. Oh, I got busted. and um, I bet they told some stories in the staff room. They're probably still doing that. They're probably still there. They're still alive. You got any of these stories? This would be fascinating. Can I reprint them? <laughs> I reckon that'd be fascinating to see, you know, read what a 12-year-old boy would be terribly say. embarrassing. Oh, I'm sure they would be, but what would a 12-year-old boy write? You know? mm. How wrong would he be? <laughs> So, yeah, okay, so you started writing at what, that sort of age, did you? Yes, um, well, I've always been highly imaginative, which helps, uh, helps in the creative process, and just wrote stories whenever. I, I like telling stories. Do you think of yourself as a storyteller? Um, in some respects, yes. Have you ever done it? Have you ever stood in front of a group of people and done some storytelling? I was probably one of the happier folk uh, with a, a couple of beers inside me and I'd tell any story that came to mind. I've travelled a lot so that, that gives me great great material for stories. Mm. <laughs> you're, you're English of course. How yeah. long have you been in Australia? I've been in Australia just over 20 years. Oh, okay. And prior to that I was um, 16 years in New Zealand. Oh, wow. Um, okay. And really... Whereabouts in New Zealand? Um, North Island mainly and uh, a little bit of time in the South Island. Okay. Okay. Great, great time. Wonderful why did, why did you come to the Antipodes? Dad was in the Royal Air Force, and we spent a great deal of our time travelling, Hong Kong, Singapore, and all points in between. And I was a cop in London, and it was four o'clock in the morning. I was in the East End on an observation when I was undercover, and it was pissing down with rain. Absolutely hailing it down. It's very, very cold. I was wet and I was miserable. And I was watching a pimp who was living the high life. And I realized that there were other places that were far more preferable to live in. And I knew about Singapore and I knew about Hong Kong. <clears throat> so I promptly went back the following day and applied to join the New Zealand police and transferred within. Two months. And that's, that was it. Just like that. Mm. I spent two years in the New Zealand police and, you know, came to the conclusion that, um, that one either had to be a career policeman or get out. You can't be in between. So it was time to move on and uh, stretch my wings. I've been, been a copper since I was 18. So. so is that when you got into writing professionally? Uh, Partly. I was writing part-time then for a local newspaper, uh, unpaid, for a year and a half. Um, but <laughs> I got published, um, unedited too, which is rather strange. Uh, from there on, went to uh, driving I was a driving school instructor, had my own driving school. I went into the restaurant industry and from there to the hotel industry. And the whole time through that, that career path um, was writing. The whole time. And were you honing your skills as a writer during this whole period? Do you, yeah, think, I think, so. do you think that was a long education process? It was a long education process, but I'm a slow learner. <laughs> were you, have you ever been formally trained in writing? Mm, or apart from creative writing courses, which can be counterproductive. No, I haven't. Before we move on, while we're talking about education, if somebody was listening to this and they aspired to be a writer, what would you recommend for them to do? 
Probably, probably take a, a writing degree. I think from now in in retrospect, I think it would it first it it it, it definitely fast tracks your your learning curve. It took me a long time to get to where I am, and a lot of experience, you know, under the belt, which is which is, I guess, the years and the experience is something that I draw on when I'm writing creatively. But for somebody coming fresh in, some form of writing or, or journalist or journalist degree courses, get plenty of, of varied knowledge under your belt. Right, okay. How did you make the transition from part-time writing into a more permanent, more full-time sort of occupation? Well, I was, um, for, some, for many years, I was a photographer and still do a lot of photo restoration work. I guess um, the transition came when my wife, Jane Teresa, was under a lot of pressure. She is uh, a well-known and respected author. Came under a lot of pressure when she was you know, assisting other writers. And you know, I offered to, to help. So I really found my passion was in writing and, and in, in helping people create their dream, if you like. So over a number of years, probably 10 years, I made that transition to, to writing, to ghostwriting full-time. So are you a published author in your own right? Only in, in e-book form. Self-published? Self-published. Right, OK. Yeah. You were helping Jane Theresa out, and in helping her out, you've developed the skills to help other people. Is that what's, what you're saying? Yeah, I, I think uh, the, the passion to want to do that. It takes a particular type of um, individual that wants to help somebody else create their dream mm. which, which is a book and you're right it's their dream isn't it it's <clears> not yours yeah you, know, you have no ownership over it as a ghostwriter None. if you were a co-author it'd be a different matter yeah and that sometimes that sometimes happens but we we are writing for the client as ghostwriters and, and it's important that the client takes ownership of that one of the loveliest things that i ever heard um, was at a, a client's book launch and it was, it was a bestseller. And the client got to her feet and said uh, to her audience, I wrote this book because... And, and those words resonated so beautifully with me because she hadn't written the book, but she'd taken ownership of the book that we had written. So you're saying she owns it, she identifies with it, even though yeah. physically she didn't write it. That's right. Because so is there a dishonesty in that? Oh, well, it, I mean, the book, the book is her. Um, it's, 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 it, it, it's her personality, it's her experiences, it's her passion, and that comes through. Because we, the words for, for the book came from, from us talking and from interviews, her, I guess, correcting a lot of the creative uh, work that I did for her, she corrected that to make it possibly a little bit more um, like herself. Possibly, this is an interesting part of the process. For a long time, ghostwriters um, have been looked down on, uh, sneered at. But recently, we've become kind of cool with Roman Polanski's um, movie, based on Robert Harris's novel, The Ghostwriter. I mean, we don't get paid you know, quite as much as that ghostwriter got. I think it was £250,000 for his efforts. People are beginning to understand now that 
ghostwriters are a particular type of writer that, that are almost shameful in their nature. One of, the, one of the best definitions I've ever heard of a ghostwriter was we are the method actors of the literary world. So we, we take on personas. We live in people's boots. We live in their skin. We get into their minds. And sometimes we need a piece of string to take with us so we can find our way back out again because it's a bit murky in there sometimes. But we actually very much become that person and write for them. So there's no dishonesty when somebody is, is only... When, when, when that person is, has in front of them their own personality, their own words, their own feelings, their own experiences, just written by somebody else. You said it's almost shamanistic. It's almost a little bit uh, taking on the other personality. Mm. How deep and dark does that hole get sometimes? It can be very, very deep and dark. I'm writing a... a a book presently that I'm probably very pleased to be coming to the end of. It has taken me to places that, even with eight years' experience in the police, and as I say, that was eight years, you know, six years of that was in the East End of London and, and, and undercover. This took me to, to utter depths of despair and frustration and um, humiliation. It, 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 it was probably a, a, a gut-pulling and heart-rending experience. It, 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 it's very important for the writer to be able to find a balance and to find their own way of retreating from that at the end of a writing day. Otherwise, you know, you, 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 you'll take the, the, the blackness and the depression into your own life. So it's, you know, it, 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 takes a bit of, it takes a bit of doing. What are the style of books that are most commonly ghostwritten? Do they tend to be biographies? They tend to be biographies. What's becoming quite the norm are business people who would like to use, like to use a, um, a book as a large and impressive business card. Somebody, I'll give you an example, a life coach, um, a sporting coach, uh, uh, somebody who is a money guru, they feel, and of course it's, it's my place to agree with them, that they need an additional form of, of credibility. Now, if they have a book to hand out, and remember, this is them, it's, it's how they feel, it's how they perceive things and how they, how they are teaching, despite the fact that it's written by me, that is, that's a wonderful uh, piece of credibility to be able to hand out a book. How much of your personality seeps into the book during oh, the ghostwriting Oh, nice question. question. <laughs> sometimes quite a bit. Sometimes quite a bit. And, and, and sometimes that's picked up by client. When the client reads, they, they may like it. And on the other hand, it might not quite work. So we have to rearrange that. But, you know, you can't really help yourself sometimes. I mean, I've got a little bit of a sense of humour. So um, just... Uh, Sneak in the odd quirky bit from time to time is, um, yeah, it, 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 it's more than a temptation. If your client is somebody who 
maybe it's, let's say you, you, you seem to be quite an educated gentleman. So if your client is somewhat uneducated um, but has an amazing story because of you know, their life situation, they may not have a particularly uh, fluent way of expressing themselves. So you're being pulled in to write their book for them. Mm. That's valid. But in being articulate, aren't you taking away from the essence of who they are? Oh, yes. You, we, but we can be articulate and at the same time, we can be genuine and we can be sincere and we can reflect personality. That's why we've got to adopt the voice. And, 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 and getting a voice is probably the most, in the initial stages, is the most difficult part. We, we've got to take some interview material. I've got to present the client with a starter, if you like. The client might bounce it off their partner, their friends, and say, you know, does this sound like me? Well, yeah, it, it, it kind of does. Yeah, it sounds like you. It, this is how you speak. But, of course, anybody who, even if we're not articulate or particularly, we may even not be well-educated, I think we have a right to produce or to, to be part of a book that is intelligently written and it, it, it is informative, it's exciting, it's interesting, and really is using the person's experiences themselves. And really, it, this has been going on for, since time immemorial. I'm not, the ghostwriter isn't the first person to, um, to do this. I mean, editors, as a matter of course, in any book that's probably mainstream published, you can hear horror stories of editors that have been given absolute garbage by an author and some well-respected and successful authors have fronted up with pretty much some tough old material and an editor in a publishing house has turned it into a gem. And this has been going on ever since the written word began. But what's the difference between you and those hardcore editors? You might start with audio and some notes. He starts with a manuscript, but at the end mm. of the day, he's bashed it into shape just like you've bashed their voice into shape. Sometimes, some, yeah, exactly. There's not much difference. Why, you know, when ghostwriters are sort of regarded as as not real writers or hacks, I think I think I think we're actually. We're exceptional writers. We're, we have exceptional skills because, you know, the editor deals with the manuscript. We deal with the person. We deal with the personality. We have to form a, a, a unique relationship with our client. You know, that can be done face-to-face, -face, but it's very often done with Skype or, or phone calls or emails. And when we develop a relationship, and really, there's, as you say, there's, there's no difference mm -hmm. You know that I do this other podcast, Create Your Life Story, mm. where I'm encouraging people to record their stories and then yeah, put lovely. them as, as audio. And the latest podcast episode has been about writing a biography using the audio that's recorded as the base for that. And in amongst it, I mentioned basically writing it or getting somebody to write it for you. Mm -hmm. And you're exactly in that situation. Exactly, yeah. Could you take us through the process of a client approaching you and how you help them to create their, 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 dream, li their literary maybe. masterpiece? Yeah, their literary masterpiece, exactly. I guess, first of all, we've got to sit down. And, you know, this is where face-to-face -face is great, but, it, I mean, it's not essential. Um, or have a chat uh, and really find out what the client is about. Where are they coming from? What do they really want to do? What do they want to achieve? And a lot of clients don't actually know. You know, a, a client might, might say to me, look, I, I have this business. I want to write a book. I haven't, I haven't got a clue where to begin. So we've got to establish what 
sort of book is going to evolve from this. And we can only do this by exploring the person's experiences, their needs, where they want to go with it, what they want to use it for. Some people may just want to produce a book for their immediate family, you know, so that the the stories aren't lost, uh, as they so often are. I I get older clients that are are afraid that the history of the family is going to get lost. That's great. It's, It's for them. Others want a sort of a limited publication for their business, so basically print on demand so that they can produce books whenever they want, hand them out. Others may have a story they feel is going to be a huge seller. It's going to be a bestseller. And, you know, I've got, really got to advise them whether that is actually a reasonable dream. And sometimes it is. Sometimes I've got to be a little bit blunt, inevitably letting them down gently, and that this sort of story is not going to become a great bestseller and you're not going to make millions from it. it it's got to be particularly exceptional. You take a, a, a politician, for instance. The readability of such a thing is, is reflected on, the fa- on, the, on his fame, his or her fame. That will sell, won't it? Doesn't mean it's a good story. It'll no, mean, no. It just absolutely. means it'll come off the bookseller's shelf. Yeah, it, it, it it'll fly off the shelves, especially if it's got a bit of dirt in it and, and a little bit of intrigue and answers a few questions that we've all been wanting to, to know the answers for. So is that point a valid case that people should share some of the intriguing parts of their life to make it engaging for oh, people? Oh, good question. Well, I always advise my clients, um, if we're going to go into a biography or we're going to you know, tell your life story, tell it all. All the gritty bits, let's get their skeletons out of the cupboard. Let's talk about things that we've never talked about before. Let's go where, you know, where we don't want to go. In doing so, there are a number of things that happen. Number one, it's therapy. It is beautiful therapy. And people can visit areas in their lives that they've, <clears throat> they've pretty much, um, they're pretty much buried, <clears throat> that are painful, um, and difficult to live with. They can, they can revisit that and see it in print. The second thing is, it doesn't have to go into the book. And, you know, a, a client, only probably four clients back, who actually produced a bestseller, I wrote probably 10,000 words on probably some of the most painful parts of her life. And it was down and dirty. It was really awful. It was really difficult. We were both in tears, face-to-face interview, and it was hard. I went away and I I wrote it, then sent it to her. You know, a week later she wrote back and she said, you know what, she said, "I, I really feel so much better now. She said, it's the first time I've ever talked about it. It's the first time I've ever read about it. She says, I feel like I'm cleansed myself of it. And if I leave this in the book, it's going to hurt too many people because a lot of people are still alive or know the people that were involved. So she said, let's keep it out. And it's a good decision. But do you think it's worth putting it in sort of like a time capsule to be released in another 50 years? Do you think it's got some validity for long-term heritage when it no longer has the impact? Or do you think it's so grubby that it's always going to have impact and you should just let sleeping dogs lie? Well, this, in this case, it was more of a personal hurt and personal 
an experience that was really dreadful for her and long term. In her case, I guess, just let it go. But in certainly in, in cases of people that, that have got a higher public profile and possibly may be referring to people that we know in the community, or yeah, I'd, I'd say that it would be a good idea to, to keep it there. And I'm quite sure that particular client that we talked about, she's still got that file. And we don't know when it's going to pop up again. Mm. Maybe in the next book. You know? I, one thing I think of, Michael, sometimes is um, <laughs> saying a WordPress blog is post-date something, but post-date it 20 years in the future. And then all of a sudden, one day, your site goes, blip, hello. <laughs> Where wow. did this come from? Wow. You know, I often, you know, or mechanisms like that. You know, I know of um, digital vaults that will release stuff on death, mechanisms for getting information out one day rather than it just being buried. Yeah, you could call the, you could call the process the, the skeleton cupboard mm, mind boggles on that yeah i was just yeah my hair's raising on my arms thinking about that <laughs> if somebody was to feel inclined to write a book but they know that they're going to struggle with it how would you suggest they go about prepping for it or or going getting into the process the problem that i hear most of all is time people haven't got the time we all have incredibly busy lives, incredibly busy lives. You know, there's got to be a certain amount of discipline on this. I was meandering around the possibility of writing a book about real estate about six years ago. You know, I wanted it to be an e-book. It ended up extremely successful, a little bit out of date now, and I haven't got quite got the time to, to upgrade it, update it. But fortunately mentioned the fact that I wanted to do this book to Jane Teresa. And she said, well, do you want me just to tell you how to do it? And I said, well, yeah, <laughs> of course, yeah. But, you know, time is time and we've only got so much time in the day. She said, right, yeah. She said, you get up at six o'clock, get up at five and write for an hour. Is that, I mean, is that hard? Would you find that hard? I don't think so. So that's what I did. I got up at five and I wrote for an hour. And that's all I did. I made a point of not uh, turning on email, not having a look at the internet, not sneaking a look at the news or the weather, which is, you know, my major ways of procrastinating. And, you know, every writer has a procrastination theme. No, I just sat down and the computer was already on. I left it on so I couldn't even mess around while it booted up. I didn't have that excuse. I had to sit down and start writing. Well, after a couple of two or three mornings, I actually found that it was working. I, you know, my mind was backburnering while I was asleep. I'd wake up, I'd wake up and I'd sit down and I'd start writing. And I was writing some quite reasonable stuff. Didn't need a bit of editing because I was still half asleep, but it was happening. But what was happening, what was very interesting was that I would then leave that and get on with, you know, uh, paid work, if you like you know, the, the humdrum work of life. But I'd often, in the middle of the afternoon, say have a fantastic idea because this book was still back burning. It was still bubbling away in my mind and I'd just make notes. And then, you know, in the evening I'd be sitting and reading another book or reading a, a, a manuscript or checking a draft and I think, oh, yeah, that's a, that, that's a point and I'd, you know, make a note about that. And... Over a, about a two-month period, I 
managed to write this book and it was absolutely painless. So that's my first piece of advice. Don't give me this, I haven't got time crap. Make time. You must make time. It's a discipline. If you make the time, then, you know, because the essence of writing is getting your bottom on a chair and getting your fingers on the keyboard. And quite often it doesn't matter what you write. It can be absolute mumbo-jumbo, rubbish, whatever. But it gets you into the process of writing. And over a few days, that will start to, to evolve into something that will, will surprise um, the, least, the, least, uh, the least writers mm. amongst us. So that's it. First of all, allocate time. Stick to it, get your discipline going, and take it from there. Sorry about the noise in the background. The storm has just come through and it's raining all over us, so um, hopefully it'll come out in the edit all right. The second thing is, know what you want to write about. Have a think about it. Make a list. You know, straight off, you know, write, you know, sit down and, and pen it or, or type it out. What do, what do I want to achieve with this book? What's, what's it about? So that you've got some end objective and from there in between start outlining some chapters some headings some points just bullet points and then start filling those bullet points in would they want to do all of that if they're going to come to you to write oh, no no oh, definitely not that's that's my job okay that's okay but, so that, but i do that so, with them so, i do that with them okay so that are oh, so you work in collaboration oh, with them to do what you just described uh mm. In, in some cases, in most cases, I would say that I would go after a long, you know, an in-depth conversation, I would probably go away and in the next meeting I would say, look, this is, you know, an idea that we've talked about. These are the ideas. What do you think? And I think from there we can start rearranging it, fleshing it out. The client must feel comfortable, must feel utterly passionate about what's about what we're going to write or what I'm going to write. Otherwise, they're not going to come to the party when it comes to spilling the beans, if you like, or getting it out onto a recording. It's sometimes like pulling teeth. Should they just come to you and say, listen, I want to to write a book. I want you to write a book for me. Mm -hmm. And that's it, no prep. Or should they come to you with a list of topics that they want to discuss should they do some prep or doesn't it matter can no, it you work matter. with it absolutely doesn't matter i mean I think, I'll, I'll give you an example i'm a real estate agent i'm all right i want to write a book i want something that shows how i feel that that the principles of how i work and that's all that i know but i haven't got a clue where, where to start great that's a great starting point um, and have you had some people come to you with a manuscript Oh, yes. I guess is the other arm of ghostwriting is that you take a manuscript and you actually... Well, it's almost heavily heavy editing. It is, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's what it is. It's what you described earlier where you get the rubbish manuscript and you knock it into shape. Exactly, exactly. And that's exactly what a publishing house editor will be doing. You can tell when an editor has been so... Um, instrumental in the success or the success of a manuscript um, simply by by reading some acknowledgements you know uh, some authors have gone overboard with their with the with the flow of praise to their editor well you know that the editor's pretty much written it right well you know, within yeah is it a satisfying life absolutely 
it's joyful. You know, you get to you get to know people, you get to know their stories, you get to know uh, things about them that they don't even know themselves. You get to meet the most extraordinary people with the most wonderful experiences, and then uh, you go and do exactly what you want to do, uh, what you're passionate about, and that's writing. Sometimes it is like in any work situation. It's you know, you've got to get down to the nitty-gritty and plough through some, maybe a, a little bit boring sometimes. I think when you've got an interest in everything in life, and just about everything in the world, anybody and everybody has got a story to tell, truly. Truly have. Now that's what my shows are all about. Yeah, and that's why I'd like to really just talk to you now about... No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a book out of this. <laughs> Go your half. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when I met you a few weeks ago, Michael, I didn't actually think about the um, biography path. I was just interested in the whole concept of ghostwriting and um, what that entails. But since I've got deeper and deeper into Create Your Life Story, I've realised that there's a huge demand out there for people who want to tell a story, but they are totally bewildered with how to go about that. Mm. And that's why I'm pursuing the audio aspect of it, because I think that's a huge advantage for people to nice, wonderful. to get them at least started on the mm. process. But, you know, why not take the audio and convert it into text as well? And, you know, this is where people with your skills, you know, if, hey, if I even said yesterday, you know, write it out and then once actually transcribe the audio and then hand that on to an editor and let them work with it. Um, how would something like that work? How, how practical would that be is if I was to sit down and grab, say, five hours of audio of somebody about their life and then handball that to you? Absolutely perfectly. I mean, your skills as an, uh, as an interviewer would be no different to mine, and this is very difficult for me being on the other end of it, I can tell you. You may, because of your experience, may actually be better at it extracting the information and keeping the interviewee on track which is part of the skill as you know getting the essence of somebody's life story and that can then be turned into text into a biography could even be fictionalized to a certain extent i have been known to do that is that valid fictionalizing real stories well it's no longer a biography then, is it? No, no. Where, do, where is that I think grey I, zone? Well, in all fairness, my feelings are strong about it and I must see somewhere that this story is based on a true story. In other words, the reader isn't duped. To be about biography, you're saying? Yeah. It, it, then it's not really a biography, is it? It's fiction. It's fiction. Right. Yeah. Do you have sometimes people coming to you with fictitious stories, wanting to put them across as life stories? Oh, yes. The line is in the sand. We don't go over there. How do you know? Well, if you talk to them long enough, uh, you start getting holes. Uh, Inconsistencies Um, start appearing. Yes, exactly. And one of my great forms of procrastination is research. Um, I'll come across something in a recording and I'll immediately start researching it because I probably want a break. But if there's anything that starts coming up as an inconsistency i'm pretty much onto it and once they start appearing yeah, holes start appearing everywhere don't they what's well, an old saying isn't it in order to be a um, 
liar, you've got to have a very good memory. A very, very good memory. Yeah. So yeah. I work on, I don't have that good a memory, I'll stick with truth, <laughs> or at least my truth, yeah. and I'm sticking to it. And again, you know, what you just said there, your, your truth, that's, I think that's a very interesting point. Everybody's perspective is different about, you know, you ask five people who witness an accident, a dramatic accident, and they'll all give you an entirely different account. Well, not entirely different, but it will vary quite considerably. So it is really a matter of perspective, isn't it? So, Your you police know, training coming through again. Yeah, well, sometimes it does. Yeah. <laughs> Michael, you told me a story about wanting to dig into your father's mm. background before he passed away. Would you like to share that story with us? Because I yeah. thought it was a wonderful yarn. <laughs> yeah, he probably wouldn't. No. But he, um, he was a Royal Air Force career officer. But during the war, he was a Spitfire pilot and involved in the Battle of Britain. Um, he, at some stages, also flew in North Africa. I may actually tell you two stories, because it, it probably would give you a measure of the man. The one story that he did tell me, and I, and, I, and I would press him, you know, ever since I was a young boy making model airplanes about war stories, and he wouldn't talk about it. He would never talk about the war. I asked my mother, and she said that she had seen footage of the, ca- the cannon footage uh, from the aircraft that was taken whenever the cannons were fired from the aircraft they had uh, film. Hmm. They were actually called gun cameras. Ah, right, okay. Yeah. Um, she said she had seen some of that very early in their relationship, but since disappeared. And then when I was 21, I met my father at the Royal Air Force Club in London for a drink. And, you know, we really got into it in a big way, and it was very pleasant. We ended up in his room in the Air Force Club, Absolutely, absolutely pie-eyed, totaled. So he was, I think he was drinking, I was drinking green chartreuse uh, and he was drinking Grand Marnier or something, you know. And we'd had had bottles of wine and scotches and brandies and everything and, and, you know, I was just wasted. But I had the presence of mind just to ask him, as he lay on the bed talking about, you know, one thing and another in the Air Force and flying and... I just asked him, you know, I really would like to hear, you know, about, about the war, about, you know, about your exploits during the war. And he, he kind of leaned on one, one arm and he, he turned his very bleary eyes towards me and he slurred out. He said, you know, I don't talk about the war because I lost a lot of friends in the war. But the other thing is, he said, it's not very nice to admit that it was the best five years in my life. God, it was fucking exciting. And he passed out at that point. So that's my father for you. But one story I did hear... And is that because he was... An adventurer. He loved it. He had no sense of... I, I learned that he had no sense of uh, fear. He was a terrible driver. He drove cars like he drove Spitfires. You know, it was it was tally ho and into the fray, chaps. You know, no quarter asked, no quarter given. It was terrible. He could walk across a plank thirty meters in the air. You know, and just he, he, no, he was fearless. 
And and no, he had a ball. He had a great time. You know, it was a huge venture. He was very young. They were heroes, you know. They were based in southern England and they went to pubs and there were heaps of ladies filling the pubs and they loved the uniform and they loved the glamour and they were, you know, moustached and smart and they were daredevils. They were They were just totally just you know, total heroes. And he loved it, lapped it up, mm. loved it. But a, a friend of his once told me that, did your father ever tell you that, you were, that he was court-martialed? And I said, I said, no, God, no. He said, well, it happened in, in North Africa. He was flying a Spitfire that had a prototype radar box, some form of box attached to it. It was the only one in existence. And he had to fly it from one airfield to another to, and where it was going to be delivered. And, you know, the boffins, as he called, it, he called them, used to, would get their hands on it. Where he was taking the, the aircraft, he was his home base. And he knew that, that for about three weeks they'd been out of cigarettes. So he picked up a hold all with about... 40,000 cigarettes, I think. It was quite, quite a big amount of cigarettes anyway that he was going to take back for the guys there. He flew this aircraft and something happened to the Spitfire on the way and he had to crash land it onto the um, airfield that he was actually going to. Something happened just in the last minutes. Down he came and he crash landed and the thing burst into flames. But he was court-martialed because rather than take the box with all the you know radar goodies in it that would have you know shortened the war by you know 10 years no um <laughs> he he grabbed the smokes <laughs> as he ran from the aircraft it blew up <laughs> in spectacular fashion and you know he was a hero and put, in, and put in prison <laughs> he was a hero for saving the smokes yes exactly almost and court martial no he was court martial he was court martial but of course it didn't last long because they needed every pilot they could get their hands on but no he spent a bit of time in prison for that <laughs> military prison is not so good yeah yeah is this a good life this is a good life yeah this this for me I guess is the culmination of all my experience all my uh, you know work the people I've known and people I'm getting to know now, I draw on that. I'm extremely comfortable doing it. I'm extremely comfortable dealing with clients, assisting them and helping them. It's very clear from an early stage of whether, whether it's going to happen or not. As I said before, sometimes I've got to let people down. There's, there are other avenues for them too. You know. What is the time frame that, you know, from a short to long of how long it takes to produce a book and what's also the cost? Mm. Short to long, you know, because I, I realise that every story, every book, every client is different. So, you know, if somebody was to consider giving you a call, what, okay, what, well, what's the range of expectations? The range of expectations, we can, I can normally put a book into final draft in just over three months. If we try to do it any, uh, any quicker, the, the book isn't going to have the consideration it needs. I mean, it needs... A lot of reading, rereading, rewriting, partly a time process, as well as being able to get the words down on the page. You know, you've got to I, have time to think about it. I'm surprised that only three months. Mm. I always prefer six months. So three months is a minimum? Three months is a minimum. I've had people that have wanted to write a book over a year or 18 months. Okay. That's fine, too. Okay. Yeah, okay. it works. And cost-wise? Cost-wise. Well, we usually start 
around about the 25,000 right. plus GST, depending on potentially on the length of the book. And that can blow out to? That can blow out to, you know, 100, 150,000. Right. Okay. Depending on what we have to do, how much time is going to be involved, how large the book is going to be. But still, it's it's a substantial commitment that people would need to take quite mm, seriously. Exactly. Yeah. No, I understand. And, you know, the bottom line is quite often that the earnings that an author gets from a book may not actually cover the costs of ghostwriting. Mm. Mm. And you've said in the past about people wanting to do deals with you, co-authoring in a Co- way. Co-authoring, I would always consider co-authoring, but the book would have to be extremely high profile, extremely high profile. I've written bestsellers for people that have come basically out of nowhere. It's the person, you know, the person in the street and they've had the right story and it's caught on and it's gangbusted. But to actually co-write with somebody, there would have to be probably some negotiation going, going right. on with that. It takes an inordinate amount of time to write a book and, and that's one of the reasons it dawns so many people. And, of course, you know, we've got to have food on the table at mm. the same time. Mm. It's funny, you know, like I, I never intended to go down this particular path. I just found the whole idea of ghostwriting fascinating. Mm. But it's suddenly developed into this... Uh, potential for people who have stories that they want to get out, that um, there are people like you around the world who they can go and see. Yeah, and it's it's quite often sad that so many stories, so many fabulous stories that would be of interest to immediate family and future generations, probably revered by future generations, are just going to disappear and die. Mm. Well, that's why I started Create Your Life Story, to mm. help promote that side of things. Wonderful. That's a great idea. Mm, Well, let's hope that a lot of people pick it up and run with it. Anyway, Michael, thank you very much for coming and telling us all about your story and ghostwriting. And before we go, what's your website address? Website address is all the W's, yourghostwriter.com. Now, that's a your, Y-O-U-R, dash, ghostwriter. There's a dash com. in there. Yeah, there's a dash in okay. there. Your-ghostwriter.com. .com. Thanks very much for coming on the show. Absolutely. And I look forward to spending a bit of time with you now. Okay, great. See you, Michael. Bye. Bye now. Thank you.